And what he's doing is he's sacrificing himself for Star-Lord. And that's what dads do. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your journey of faith. It is a journey that you have to take on your own, but we can come alongside you to help you and encourage you and challenge you and tell 201 episodes worth of bad jokes along the way. Annoy you. Annoy you for only 30 minutes twice a week. (laughs) My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Hey, it's good to be here, everyone. I'm glad that you're joining us. I'm glad that you are listening and participating Mm. in this. We just hope that uh, in all seriousness, this is an addition and a help to your faith and that you're learning how to uh, clarify what you believe and learning how to really establish what you believe on a foundation of knowledge. You say, I know what I believe and why I believe it. Absolutely. And we, like I said, are on episode 201. We were so excited to celebrate the last 200 episodes last, um, podcast which was yeah. really fun to have some a lot extra of people on yeah we did actually get some people that did some comments on that yay um so we have some comments i'm so excited if you have some you will also share those i also want to encourage you um we do have those new podcasts out um some people got a little confused and that was partially my fault all the podcasts did drop before that episode but apple podcast takes five days to approve anything so Got if it. you were looking for the kim peak show or the lost art of parenting or real stakes are eel stakes on apple Podcasts, you probably didn't see them they are now available you can see them you can watch them or you listen to them so um all those new podcasts as part of the the expansion of the salty pastor podcast um, family family are now available everywhere you can get your podcasts and on YouTube. So hopefully you guys are getting into those, but let's dive into what we're talking about this week. We are in our at the movies series still, Mm -hmm. and we are moving on to a new movie this week. And this week also coincides with father's day. So um, we wanted to celebrate fathers. So we're going to be watching guardians of the galaxy two. Yeah. The sequel volume two, I think is what they call it. Yes. It's uh, all mixtape stuff. And it was kind of a sleeper hit when it came out. It didn't come out with the same yeah. pomp and circumstance. I think that the first one did yeah. or, or the same reviews. But um, for those of you who maybe didn't see it, maybe it's one of the sleepers for you as well. And yeah. you didn't watch it. Let me give you a brief recap of guardians of the galaxy. If you're not familiar yeah, with just this Marvel, kind of the overall story, Marvel storyline yeah. um, yes. of the guardians. They're, they're a lesser known um, group of heroes and um, they're from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, there's tons of comics on them and it consists of the adventures of five basically misfits mm-hmm. that are brought together to form kind of a found family type of bond. Mm-hmm. They are anti-heroes um, and the principle of an anti-hero is someone who doesn't want to be a hero. They don't necessarily have the same moral clarity that you see from like Captain America or these other yes. uh, more prominent heroes. It's sort of morally vague more yeah. often than yeah. not. They are morally compromised. But they end up doing something heroic and great despite yes. this lack of clarity and despite their 
desire to not necessarily want to be the hero. And that's what I like about it is because, well, first of all, it's funny, you know, and there's a lot of uh, old references to the 80s and the 70s, even 60s. So I I enjoy that. But the bonds of how a family are made are addressed in this story arc. It's Mm. how do these people actually become a family and stand beside each other. And even though they're morally compromised, you know, even though they're not people who are like, I'm going to go out with moral clarity and form this family and pick up all these misfits and make a family. It's like fate brings them together. They learn to trust each other, depend on Mm. each other. They fight side by side, which uh, is, uh, you know, pretty much of an archetype. It's a standard story that, you know, you have men often who will fight side by side and they become a band of brothers. You know, they, they bond like a family. And I think what's really interesting though, in guardians of the galaxy two, they really explore it is that one of the things that make them anti-heroes, in other words, morally compromised, confused, not really wanting to be heroic and follow the rules is because they all grew up without fathers. All the all of the characters, except for one, grew up without fathers. Uh, the leader of the group, played by Chris Pratt, is called Star Lord, and he grew up without a father. He was raised by a group of men called uh, Ravagers. Is that right? Yes, the Ravagers. The, the Ravagers. The Reavers, Ravagers. Uh, no, well, Ravagers. I, I get them confused because there's another sci-fi show out there where the bad guys are reavers and i think they're yes. ravagers and I've, they go around and they kind of scavenge the ravagers yes yeah, you're correct I, they, the googles helps me the very googles quickly. helps me quickly so but in, what's interesting is that his mother dies when he's very young and and then he is taken off planet by these ravagers to be delivered to uh someone else turns out to be his his uh father and but they don't deliver him because the the father is a bad guy Mm. and they kind of figured this out and so they raised him but they they always told him that you know we kept you because you were good for eating you yes. know, which was to them a joke, but of course, to a six-year-old boy, that's he not. He thinks my, it's the truth. He thinks it's the truth. So uh, the Groot, which is the tree, uh, doesn't have a father. You know, he of course is a tree. Yes. <laughs> so uh, he grew. Then there's a, a woman in it who's green, and her name is Gamora, and she grew up without her biological father. She was kidnapped by a ruthless bad guy named Thanos, who raised her. And he he kidnapped another girl by the name of Nebula, mm-hmm. and he made Gamora and Nebula fight each other all the time. And whoever got whoever would win the fight would be able to uh, get some type of benefit, right. and then the loser got punished. And so he turned Nebula because she always lost the fights into like a mechanical machine, basically. Mm. You know, took her apart and put her back together again. Then you have Rocket, and Rocket is uh, like a, a raccoon, I guess, that's large, a large raccoon yes. that has been modified uh, scientifically to be sentient and intelligent, and he's really, really good with machines. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is he didn't have a father. Uh, the only character out of all of these uh, was Drax the Destroyer, and he had a father, but you don't, you don't really ever hear anything at all 
about that. And so I think that's what's really interesting is that all of these characters have these issues and problems in their life. And even the movie itself basically attributes it to the fact that they grew up without a traditional family, uh, a nuclear family uh, with their biological father. Mm. So, I mean, we are going to be studying specifically the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yes. So I'd like to give a brief recap for those of you who maybe didn't watch that one or forgot yes. about it because it's With been a, a little few while. spoilers yeah yeah a few spoilers um so the basic premise of the second guardians of the galaxy movie is star lord played by chris mm -hmm. pratt um, meets his father his um biological father yes and wants to know him and unfortunately it turns out that his father who's this all-powerful celestial yeah. being yes uh only wants to use him to rule the universe just like <laughs> every bad guy ever right i know what is that about in every story james bond always the bad guy always power. wants to yeah, yeah rule the world i yes. mean it's just crazy and so um star lord's father is called ego celestial ego but they just yeah. call him ego and basically attempts to manipulate him uh star lord and use yes. him and eventually wants to destroy him yes so yeah that's kind of the the very short summary of what happens yes. in that movie but basically the biggest plot point that you need to be a yeah concerned and then with. what happens is these ravagers you know that raised him is led by a guy named uh yondu mm -hmm. and yondu's blue and what's interesting is yondu throughout the first movie and the second movie even though uh, Chris Pratt, Star-Lord, is off running away and doing things he's not supposed to do. Yondu is kind of pursuing him a little bit, but always lets him off the hook. Mm -hmm. And you start to get this impression that he has an affection for him, right? right? And so then he finds out that Chris Pratt is in trouble. Star-Lord is in trouble. He goes to this planet with his, his people, just a couple of his people, uh, to save him, mm. you know? And what's really interesting is that in the process of trying to save Star-Lord, he has to end up sacrificing his life. And what he does is he does two things, is he teaches Star-Lord how to really tie into his authentic identity and find this power, right? Mm -hmm. And he tells him, you know, he goes, you know, I don't do this with my head, I do it with my heart, mm. you know? And in storytelling uh that that juxtaposition you know when you talk about the head versus the heart what they're trying to do is they're not trying to say you should only be an emotionally based being which uh would be a fallacy what they're trying to do is they're trying to say it's our heart that is where our soul is our authentic self and and uh we sometimes we get in the way of our authentic self and so we have flaws we believe things narratives that are false or untrue and so that's kind of what they try to do in storytelling when they talk the difference between your head and your heart so right. so yandu tell, teaches him how to do this which allows him then to take on ego who's trying to destroy him and then in the process at the very end, Yandu grabs him, you know, here's a big spoiler, and he takes, he basically saves him, and he can only take him into space and save him, you know, if he gives Star-Lord his breathing apparatus in space. So he goes up there, and as he's taking him, he's going, Yandu, you can't do this, you can't do this. And he goes, yes, I can. He goes, and he says a very important line in the movie. He goes, Ego may have been your father, but he was never your daddy. Mm. And what he's doing is he's sacrificing himself for star lord and that's what dads do see that's what dads do fathers don't do that fathers um can uh you know in storytelling 
often be that uh, emotionally distant person that just wants to use their child for their own ends, you know, live vicariously through them. Mm -hmm. And we see that on occasion when a father like drives his son to be the perfect athlete, you know, right. I think uh, a perfect example of this is a quarterback by uh, Ryan leaf, who was just incredible throwing motion. No, it wasn't Ryan leaf. It was uh, another guy. What was his name? I can't uh, suddenly uh, blanks on me, but he was a young man who had a perfect throwing motion, you know, but his dad was pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. And then, you know, he played a little bit of college, goes to the NFL, and then he flames out because he has no idea who he is. Mm. He was only living his father's dream, basically. So uh, this story, I think, you know, of what Yandu did and the, the difficulty of ego versus Yandu is something that really resonates with a lot of men because every man has to work through the issue of fatherhood. Uh, how do I relate to my own father? You know, uh, there comes a point in, um, every man's life where he wishes the relationship that he had with his father growing up would have been different, you mm -hmm. know, would have been closer or, or better. Uh, what does it mean to be a good father? You know, how do I, what am I going to do now based on my own experience? And then that leads to even deeper biblical themes, which are, how is God my ultimate father? And it's interesting in the New Testament, Paul tells us that God is really Abba, which means he's more of a dad than just this off distant father. Yeah. That, you know, that daddy or that like familiarity, it's like a very intimate, like very intimate personal connection. So what's yeah. the difference between a father and a daddy? And how do you know? And how does God go from a distant father to being your dad? So that's really what this movie and this story, I think, resonates with a lot of guys and a lot of men who drive movie watching, you know, to see it. Right. So you, we've kind of given a brief summary of, of who these characters are and why it's important yes. and what happens in this movie. What are some of the biblical principles that we can explore based on what we're seeing in this movie? Well, if, if you go to Galatians chapter four, Paul is writing the letter to Galatians and he's trying to tell them that don't fall into the trap of, of being convinced that you have to convert to Judaism in order to be a Christian. Right. And he's saying what, what that is, is that's an attempt to recruit you to a culture or a system. It's not, uh, it's not designed in any way, shape or form to connect you personally to God. And so in chapter four, he's making this argument about the difference between a slave and a son. And he says, look, in a household, you're going to have a servant you know, uh, yeah, or a slave, uh, th their idea of slavery is totally different than ours. See today we are predominantly taught what is called chattel slavery. What chattel slavery is, is, uh, where a human being is denied their rights and then they are bought and sold and then they're forced into labor mm -hmm. regardless of what it. Now in this culture, you have to realize there weren't corporations. There weren't companies that went out and hired people. So every single person was pretty much employed, self-employed, right? Mm -hmm. And so what you would do is you would uh, find yourself a family sometimes and you could work with the family or you could produce a good and you were, so there was a lot of self-employment and maybe you were involved in manufacturing at some level. And so what happens is, is if you had decided to commit yourself 
to a family and work for them, you'd be a servant. You're mm-hmm. a servant of the family. And, you know, 95% of what was happening was agriculturally based in nature. So you'd live out on the little farm or the little whatever ranch or whatever. And, and so what he's saying is based on that, you know, the kids of the servants or the employees are raised in the same way that the, the heir to the property is raised. He goes, verse three goes, so also of chapter four, book of Galatians, Paul writes, so also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elementary elemental spiritual forces of the world. So he's saying we were raised and we were under the power and authority of this world. He goes verse four, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law. So now we see the incarnation. And then he goes on to say this in order to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now this is a very important phrase. What he's saying that these Judaizers who say you have to be Jewish in order to be a Christian are wrong. They're just trying to keep you under this system of slavery. He said, when the time came, God sent his son born of a woman under the law in order to free us from the law. See, redeem those under the law because the law cannot redeem you. And he said that we might receive adoption to sonship. So now we become adopted children into the family of God. Verse six, because you are his sons, God sent the Holy Spirit of his son into our hearts. And this is why I always say is that the Holy Spirit is the divine presence of Jesus Christ in your life. It is the spirit then this Holy Spirit within you that calls out Abba Father. So we see this very close personal term of endearment Mm -hmm. used, Abba Father. Verse seven, so you are no longer a slave. You You are now God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. So your entire identity, everything about you has changed when you're redeemed by the blood of Christ. You are now adopted into the family of God and your identity at its core changes. So we also see this theme kicking up in Romans chapter eight, where Paul writes something similar. He says, for those who are led by the Holy Spirit of God are the children of God. So he's saying that you can't be led by the Holy Spirit unless you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit as a deposit of your salvation. So you can't have that until you're saved. And then he goes on to say, look, he says, uh, the spirit you received does not make you a slave so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by this, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So in Judaism, Jewish people are subjects of God, but in Christianity, people are children of God. This was a massive shift in thinking. And this is why it was so powerful is that we we're since we're raised from our youngest days told this, we don't understand the massive shift. And so oftentimes it's not until we get older that we realize wow, I need to understand my identity as a child of God is totally different than the world sees me. As a matter of fact, it's totally different than even as I see myself. Yes. And oftentimes this is becomes more challenging for men 
who were raised in situations where they didn't have a father, they had an emotionally distant father, an unengaged father, maybe a father that was dealing with their own personal issues, so they were in the house but absent. And so that you have to work through those issues because your earthly father gave you a bad identity. We believe things. So we have to then work through those things and you only can work through them when you understand you've been adopted into a new family and you have a new identity. And so that's why this is such a really powerful thing. And I think that's why guardians of the galaxy two resonated with so many men and such a great story because it addresses these issues and how do we work through them as adults? Absolutely. I mean, I personally grew up in a family that didn't, my dad was not really around. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents got divorced and so I saw him once in a while and that was about it. And so that's been one of my biggest things that I've been working through, through my adult life, especially in the last few years is Mm -hmm. just really understanding, okay, I didn't necessarily have the best role model of a father, but I don't need him to be my role model. I have a perfect father who mm-hmm. I can look to, to, to be that. And, you know, we see this a lot in the church where men in the church step up. I mean, I yes. learned to shape from my youth leader. I mm-hmm. learned how to hunt from another guy at the church. And so it's like men in the church don't necessarily have to be your biological father to yeah. be dads to kids who maybe don't have that. And that's Mm -hmm. what I think is so powerful about do not forsake meeting together because it's this kind of a community that allows kids and men and boys to grow up and have these influences. Same thing with girls. Like my sisters were taken to daddy daughter dances by men in the church Mm -hmm. who said, I will step up and be what their dad cannot be. Right. And so we see this, this, happening more and more these days where fathers are not necessarily engaged in their kids, whether it's they, you know, had premarital sex and he just didn't want to be a part of it and left and, or they've died or they have an abuse issue or whatever. It's like, there are so many reasons why fathers are not engaged. It's some of it's even just like, I'm told I'm not supposed to be a man anymore. So I'm just going to be this very passive, shut my brain down guy that doesn't really engage, you know, cause that's what the world tells me I'm supposed to be. Cause I'm yes. supposedly toxic. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, so I think th- all of these things are contributing to a huge lack of actual connection with a father. And it's just, all we do is we just hear stories about how dads aren't there and they don't show up or there's the, the running thing of he went out for smokes one day and just never came, came back. back. Yeah. Well, you know, the Bruce Springsteen song, you know, I went out for a drive and I never went back. Everybody has a lonely heart kind yeah. of a thing. Um, you know, I got a wife and kid in Baltimore, Jack. I went out for a drive and never went back. Um, you know, I think that what happens is that it's really important to understand that the lack of fatherhood, and we'll talk about this on the Thursday episode even more, it has to do with um, not only the lack of fathers because they're being pushed aside. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people are opening the door for men to bail and a lot of guys are taking it. Uh, Number two is that there's this huge emphasis due to the uh, influence of third wave feminism in a public education system. And sometimes among single mothers, they don't understand uh, uh, they do this. And that is, is that, well, I want my son to grow up different and I want my son to be in touch with his emotions. And what these women and these educators and these people don't realize what they're saying is they're saying, I want 
boys to process their emotions exactly like women do. Mm. So when it comes to emotions, I want my son to act like a girl. And this is why I think in one reason, uh, this is pretty salty, but when you look at the transgender issue, the people identifying as transgendered has quadrupled in the last 10 years. And so the notion is there is a cultural influence causing that. Um, research points to that. But the second thing is what most people don't realize is that male to female transition is three times the rate of female to male. So in other words, you know, there are three males wanting to be females for every one female who wants to be a male. So this is really a significant point, I think, in our culture, because what we're doing is we don't realize that the way in which a male processes his emotions and deals with his emotions is neurologically based. It's biologically based. His brain works differently than a female's. And so when you try to get a boy to process his emotions and deal with his emotions in the exact same way as a girl, what you're doing is you are harming that boy. You are harming him and you are not only confusing him, but you are creating mental dissonance inside of him that in some ways may never be uh, resolved unless he gets into the presence of real men and has some real male role models. You know, and I, I think what you brought up and your point was so excellent. And that is authentic fatherhood is not about making a child, but about raising a child into adulthood. It's what you do each and every day that makes the biggest difference in a child's life. And you had men in your church that taught you how to do these things. They mm-hmm. were there, they were present. And so this is why I think it's so important in a church community that number one, we as people don't give up on it. We do not forsake the habit of meeting together is the habit of some, because this is so important, but more importantly is we don't become a, a, a feminized church where it's always just about our emotions and dealing with our emotions. And, you know, it has to do about, there has to be a strong masculine component because we have all these boys that are coming. You know, we have a lot of single moms in our church who bring their kids to our church for no other reason is they're like, I want to go to a church where we see lots of men. And we see that up on the stage. We see lots of men leading. We see men in leadership positions and the eldership. We, we want to be in a church where men are strong so that my child growing up sees men. We got men that volunteer in our children's ministry. And in so the youth group in and the, the youth group. And so they see that and they're like, wow, we get these really strong male. This is, I think, another reason why sports is such a big deal. A lot of families take their kids and involve their kids in sports. Why? Because that's one of the areas where you have a preponderance of male coaches and mm. male people standing up. Our, our society is desperately in need for strong male presence in children's lives. It's needed. It's necessary. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 12, it says this, beginning with verse one, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin, which so easily entangles. When we are raised poorly, sin entangles us so much more easily. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. To become the man and work through these things is a marathon, and you have to run it with perseverance. It's not going to be changed overnight. 
How do you do it? Verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. So he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus is the role model of what true masculinity is for men who grew up without fathers. Listen to what he says next. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So you've got to have a sense of joy of what does it mean to become an authentic man? And then you have to scorn the suffering that you have to go through to get there. But persevere through it because he goes on to say this. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So this is a journey that you have to endure and realize you're going to be opposed. Our society opposes men becoming men. Mm. And we'll talk about that more on Thursday. In verse four, he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And verse five, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? that addresses you as a father addresses his son. So now the author takes it back to this, God is your father. He goes, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises everyone he accepts as a son. So what does a father do that loves you? He guides you. He'll chastise you at times, right? Well, if you have a poor earthly father who's not a dad, guess what? That chastisement is really painful and difficult and makes no Mm. sense. It's in a vacuum. But when you understand that your dad loves you and he's chastising you, okay, this this really helps. He he goes on verse 7. He goes, endure the hardship of discipline. Endure it. You're going to be disciplined. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you're not disciplined, everyone goes and everyone undergoes discipline. Then you are not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us when we, and we end up respecting them for what they did. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined our earthly fathers for a little while as they thought best. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. Mm. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So just like ego, the world wants to undermine fatherhood for its own evil purpose. It's in opposition to it. But God, the ultimate father, comes in and disciplines us and and rebukes us and trains us and molds us and shapes us because he loves us. And this legitimizes his favor over us. And men find true freedom in being the fathers that their heavenly father is calling them to be. So we're pretty close to almost out of time, but I just want to um, elaborate a bit, little bit. What are the implications in a person's life if they don't have a father that guided them growing up? Well, I think based on this Hebrews pasture, passage, you know, you got to realize that, well, my form and for my formative years, my maturation process is hindered. So if you're a female that didn't grow up with a father, you have to understand that your value isn't any less. Your fa- the favor of God in your life isn't any less, but you have to work through some of the things that are going to hinder you in your journey with God and throughout life. 
For instance, the, you're, you're going to be hindered in what a healthy relationship with a man actually looks like and what is an unhealthy one. As a matter of fact, for some women, when you get adult, an unhealthy relationship will feel more natural than a healthy one. It will feel uh, like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be, mm. um, as opposed to a healthy one, which will feel out of sync. And so what you have to do is you have to look at righteousness and truth and you have to compare the relationship or the other person with a righteous standard, not your sense or feeling standard. That's very important. Uh, this crops up for girls. Sometimes they, they underestimate their value and their sense of worth when they grow up without a father. And so they try to find value and affirmation in males. You know, they might believe that attraction, if I can attract a guy, then that means the guy loves me. Well, that's not necessarily true. Uh, this, of course, then leads girls uh, to try and use men or manipulate men. You know, they try to uh, uh, attract men. They try to bond men to them. And yet they are emotionally unavailable to those men, except for when they need them. Mm. This is very unhealthy, right? Uh, sometimes girls will develop unhealthy perceptions of what men actually are in need, you know, and they make really, you know, they'll say men are toxic or all men are this way. Uh, on the other side, young men uh, who've gone through this process are not able to work through a lot of their unhealthy drives. You know, what a father does is discipline you by saying, look, your drive is healthy, but just don't fulfill it in an unhealthy. You're hungry, right? Well, go, don't just eat donuts and candy, you know, right. go out and eat, you know, you know, a nutritious meal, exercise, build muscle. Uh, your drive for sex and sexuality is a good thing, you know, but don't go out and, you know, find a harlot on the street because, you know, that's bad. Right. Okay. So fathers channel our drives for males. But what happens is if some guys grow up, they realize, well, uh, they may assume, oh, I'm sexually attracted to this girl. So this must be love. No, that's just your hormones, mm. <laughs> you know, and dad's can see those things. And a lot of young men, they get in the haze of their hormonal eyesight and they can't see any of the things that maybe the female is doing that are really unhealthy. But dads can see that right off the bat and try to steer them away. It, it, steer, it says, uh, look, son, you need to not be attracted to emotionally unavailable women who are really, really wounded and trying to use you for their own benefit. You have to be very weary of jobs that don't understand your value and want to help you uh, grow. You, you have to understand that your own self-narrative as a young man is going to hinder you more than anything else. Mm. You know, you have to get past the blame game and you have to really get into finding how do I take responsibility for my life so that I can influence the outcome, you know, that I can direct my life. See, all of these things happen because of the father role in a child's life. It's critical for development in these areas. So last question in this movie, Star-Lord realizes his real father, the one who really raised him was Yondu, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, he was there in his life after his mother died. Um, unlike ego, right? Yes. And so yes. how can we realize that God is ultimately our father, the one that's always going to be there and who's actually raising us? Well, I think that's where you come to the point where you understand that as a man and as a young woman, that you're never going to find affirmation and value from the world. Mm. And you have to realize that you are flawed. 
You know, even if you were raised in a perfect family, you're flawed and you have issues that you have to deal with and work through. And the only way to do that is that everything that happens on this earth is designed to point you to your ultimate father. Mm. You know, Jesus is your father, your Lord, your King, your savior. And so that's why you can only find your authentic self in him. Well, we just want to invite you guys to spend Father's Day with us here at Foothills. We are doing this really great Father's Day um, celebration with Dad's Root Beer, a photo booth, a popsicle stand. Um, the kids uh, in FH Kids are going to be making gifts for the fathers. It's going to be a great day celebrating the men in our lives that are making such a difference to um, the kids and the adults. Some We have some um, older generations here that are still making an impact on their kids and the little mm-hmm. kids and the grandkids. So um, we're here to celebrate all of them, and we hope you guys will join us as well here on campus. But otherwise, join us on Thursday for another episode of The Salty Pastor. Blessings.